the children are dismissed who are going to Bible Explorers. There are a lot of things uh, that I love about this church. Um, I, I love, uh, uh, the, I mean, if, if you go to any church uh, and you clean up uh, after a service and we have lots of people to do, you're going to find standard things. You'll find discarded uh, tissues. You'll find uh, crayons, maybe some leftover notes, um, maybe some empty uh, note-taking pages from the previous sermon. But there just aren't a lot of churches that when you clean up, you're going to find a fishing lure. And uh, that just that tells me that's real. And, and Josh sort of, uh, he alluded to this with uh, something that a, a woman from Wisconsin said about the church. But another person said to me yesterday after the uh, memorial service that she really thought that this was a, a type of church that you could show up to and, and you, you wouldn't uh, feel like you had to be perfect and, uh, and, and, and know it all. And I, I said, well, if you were, you'd really stand out. <laughs> um, uh, but uh, I just appreciate, uh, so last, or Friday night, uh, if, if you were here last Sunday and you saw, I mean, the, for this sanctuary was set up to look like a giant airplane for VBS. And that is what it looked like at 8.30 p.m. on Friday night while I was still sick in bed. Uh, at 10 o'clock on Friday night, it was set up for a memorial service. That's people serving. A lot of uh, you were at the memorial service uh, for my sister-in-law yesterday, and you got to, maybe none of you had, had known Nancy beforehand, and you were introduced to Nancy. I want you to know that there were hundreds of people who were introduced to Jesus uh, yesterday because of the way that you served. So thank you very much. It's another thing I just love about this church. We are talking about forgiveness today, and um, Josh has already lost it today. I'm, I might just lose it today, too. Uh, I am overwhelmed uh, by uh, how the forgiveness of Christ has, has brought us all together. We send out a, 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 an email every week uh, to, to help you prepare for, uh, the, uh, for the sermon each week. And, uh, and that, uh, we call it Prepare for Sunday Gathered, because that's, you know, we're gathering on Sunday. Uh, that's what, what, what this church, one of the things, one of the many things this church does. If you read this week's, I, I alluded to my, one of my favorite modern movies, Oh Brother, Where Out There, Where Out Thou. And it's an it's a, uh, interpretation of Homer's Odyssey, it, but it's set place in like the Depression era, and the uh, main characters are these three uh, convicts who escape from prison, and they're, and, and they're going through uh, trying to, to get to this treasure. And uh, in one scene, they're, they're hiding out in the woods, and then th this congregation of people in white robes starts walking by singing this song, and they, they sort of follow them to see what's going on, and they're all going down to the river to be baptized. And one of them, my favorite character in the entire movie, is a guy named Delmar, who's not very smart. And, uh, and he's just overcome in the moment, and he rushes down, and he gets baptized there, and he comes out, and he says this. He says, well, that's it, boys. I've been redeemed. The preacher done washed away all my sins and transgressions. It's a straight and narrow from here on out, and heaven everlasting is my reward. And his, uh, his, his buddy, Everett, says, uh, uh, or I'm sorry, and then he says, the preacher said all my sins is washed away, including that piggly wiggly I knocked over in Yazoo. And, and his, his buddy, Everett, says, but Delmar, you, you told me you were innocent of those charges. He says, well, I was lying. And the preacher says, I've been forgiven of those sins, too. 
God and man's got nothing on me. Now, come on in, boys. The water's fine. We laugh at that because that's a, a, a real caricature of what forgiveness is. But if we're honest with ourselves, our caricature of, of forgiveness lots of times is, is not much better. Right? We say we've been forgiven, we've been cleansed by the blood of the Lamb, you know, that, that all of our sins have been washed away. But that's, that's all true. If, 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 we've, if we've trusted in Christ, that's all true. But lots of times we really don't think what that all means. A few weeks ago we studied uh, John 16, and we, we heard that the Holy Spirit submits to the Father, and that he does not speak his own words, but those that he hears from the Father. And our own submission should, listen, should include listening to the words of the Holy Spirit. As he speaks and as he, as he proclaims into the world, to the world, we, we do this not for our own glory, right, for, but for the glory of God, that we might be obedient to God's, or to uh, to Christ's great commission for us to go make disciples of all people uh, and to be his witnesses in all the world. Last week we heard that the listening, responding, and proclaiming is all done in the context of his holy fellowship, the church of Jesus Christ. A church that's not just a building or a day or an hour, but one that is built upon a community of believers. They're gathered together. They gather together to worship God, to proclaim the gospel, to make disciples through the empowerment of the Holy Spirit that lives in each one of us. In his first epistle, and we're going to be in, in 1 John uh, uh, for, for today, but in, in his first epistle, uh, the apostle John is doing just that. He's proclaiming what the Holy Spirit has revealed and spoken to the church. As we, as, we, uh, as we read in, uh, in 1 John, again, chapter 1, he, he says, and let's go to verse 3, that which we have seen and heard, we proclaim also to you, so that you too may have fellowship with us, and indeed our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. Earlier, he, he says, uh, it, in verse 1, that what he's talking about is that which was heard from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our own eyes, which we have looked upon, which we have touched with our own hands concerning the word of, of life. He's talking, of, uh, what he's writing about here is for the church. It's, it's, it's for this fellowship. It's not just a, a fellowship individually with Christ, but it's a fellowship with, with the followers of Christ. And so as we continue our study of the, of the Apostles' Creed, we're getting now to where it says, uh, we, we, we just hit, I believe in the Holy Catholic Church. Now we're saying, I believe in the forgiveness of sins. And the structure we're going to see from uh, 1 John today is, is, is this, that we are in need of forgiveness, that God has provided forgiveness, and we must embrace that forgiveness. So I'm going to read through uh, 1 John here intact just to, to sort of get this context in our minds. First John 1 says, that which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon, which we have touched with our hands concerning the word of life, 
the life was made manifest, and we have seen it to testify to it and proclaim to you eternal life, which was with the Father and was made manifest to us. That which we have seen and heard, we proclaim also to you, so that you too may have fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. And we are writing these things so that our joy may be complete. This is the message we have heard from him and proclaim to you, that God is light, and in him is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in the darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from all sin. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. We're going to be concentrating on verses 5 through 10 today. And, and verse 5 says, this is the message we have heard from you, him and proclaim to you that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. The Bible tells us that God is perfectly holy. Right? Not only is he the light with no darkness, but also he is righteous. He's, he's perfect, right? He's just, he's faithful, he's upright, he's blameless and infinite in his understanding. He's infinite in his power, he's infinite in his presence. This holy, infinite, all-powerful, all-knowing, all-present God created the entire world and everything in it. He placed mankind in that world and he even made them in his image. He blessed them and commanded them to be fruitful and multiply. He gave them all they needed for life. He finished this work, and then he sat back and he said, Behold, it was very good. This first truth, God's perfect holiness, should overwhelm us. We should be filled with awe and joy and thankfulness. It should drive us to worship God and God alone, to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your, your soul, with all your might, to love him with the totality of our existence, all of our being. The second truth, and we know this, you've probably heard this many times through the gospel, maybe this is the first time, but the second truth is that we don't do this, we don't worship God this way. Because we choose not to worship the perfectly holy God alone with the totality of our being, we are by definition holy, unholy. And this unholiness infects the totality of our being. This is what the reformers called total depravity of mankind. And the Bible tells us that the first humans placed in this perfect creation, the garden, chose not to pursue the perfectly holy, but instead to pursue the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, and the pride of life. Instead of worshiping the creator of the world, they worshiped the things of the world that he had created. The sin has continued from that first day, or those first days, uh, into this present day. It's present in each and every one of us when we seek not the face of our, our perfectly holy God, but the things of this world. And it's not only the things that seem un obviously unholy to worship, but it's, it's not just money, power, sex, fame, possessions, and, but it's also relationships, accomplishments, and reputation. 
Jesus said, whoever loves father and mother more than me is not worthy of me. Whoever loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. It's not that God doesn't want us to love others. He commands us to love others. It's just that he can't stand for us to put anything in front of us. Our, our parents, our kids, our spouse, our possessions, anything in front of him. We are to worship the creator and not the created. He says, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of slavery in Egypt. You shall have no other gods before me. So let's be clear, though, that what I'm saying with total depravity doesn't mean that there's no good uh, in the world, that there's no good in people. We are made in God's image, and even those who are most bound by the things of the world, in us, that image leaks out from time to time. But this does mean that we are totally corrupted by our sin nature. It's like a drop of poison uh, corrupts an entire glass of water. If I were to put... There's lots of drops of water in, the, in this, but if I were to put one drop of poison, I, I wouldn't do this. Um, if, if I had, uh, if we had actually had this, I, I accidentally left some eggs in the fridge there for a very long time, and, and poor Pastor Josh was trying to make an omelet uh, and cracked one of those in there. You can have a dozen, you can have 12 dozen eggs, a whole gross of eggs, and if you put one rotten egg into that, it's going to be gross, gross of eggs, right? You're not going to want one of those. In the same way, no matter how much good continues to come out because we've been made in the image of God, that sinful nature corrupts all of that. R.C. Sproul writes, we're not sinners because we sin. We sin because we're sinners. So these two truths that God is perfect in his holiness... And, and we are imperfect, we, total in our depravity, uh, brings us to the third, that our unholiness cannot dwell with the holiness of God. Because he is perfectly holy, nothing that is not perfectly holy can dwell in his, in his presence. Psalm uh, 5 says this, For you are not a God who delights in wickedness. Evil may not dwell with you. The boastful may not stand before your eyes. You hate all evildoers. You destroy those who speak lies. The Lord abhors the bloodthirsty and deceitful man. Now, there's a popular sentiment in Christianity that says God hates the sin but loves the sinner. And, and that's true. God loves sinners. I mean, right, Romans 5 says, but God demonstrates his, his love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. But we also just read in Psalm 5 that he hates all evildoers, that, that he abhors those, those who speak lies. That, or I'm sorry, he, he abhors the bloodthirsty and, and deceitful man. God loves the sinner, and God hates the sinner. And we might say, well, that doesn't make any sense. Uh, part of that is because we just don't use the word hate uh, the, the way that, that hate is meant to be used. Right, we use hate in a lot of different ways. Right? I, I hate chocolate ice cream. That's not true, by the way. Um, uh, you know, we, we use things like that. I, I hate that. I, it's so common. I was looking at a, at a graph uh, when I was looking up the definition of hate, and the use of hate has gone up dramatically in the last decade. 
It's just, it, it's thrown around as that. And what hate really means is that you can't be in that presence of it. Right? You can't stand to be in the presence of that which you hate. Right? Food's a bad example for me because I'll eat just about anything. There is one thing, though, one food that I really detest, and that's Greek spleen sausage. Uh, it's a long story. I'll tell you about it someday, uh, but not in church. Um, but, uh, but I actually do hate that. I can't stand to be in the presence of that food. Just the smell, everything else sends me away from it. But there are other things that I can't stand to be in the presence of, but that doesn't mean that I hate it the way that the world thinks that I hate it. You can love something and not bear to be in the presence of it. It may be a person that's hurt you deeply, right? That you still love deeply, but because of what that person has done, you can't be in their presence. It might not even be safe for you. It's not quite the same, but that might give you an idea of how God loves people who have, are completely unholy because they continue to cling to their sin. He can't stand to be in, in, in the presence of them. Lest we think that this idea that God hates the sinner can't stand to be in their presence is just an Old Testament thing. We see it uh, in, in, the, uh, in the New Testament also, right? We love John 3.16, but God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. That's great. Go a few, a few verses later in John uh, 3.36, whoever does not obey the son shall not see life, but the wrath of God remains on him. Oh, that's one of the most wrath, wrathful verses in the entire Bible, not just the New Testament. God created and he called mankind to be in communion with him, in community with him. He loves us, but our sin brings his wrath instead, making it impossible for us to be in his presence. Isaiah writes, Behold, the Lord's hand is not shortened, that it cannot save, or his ear dull, that it cannot hear, but your iniquities have made a separation between you and your God, and your sins have hidden his face from you so that he does not hear. The consequences of the first sin was the fall of mankind. And because of this, we are sinners, infected by sin, unable to save ourselves, unable to make ourselves holy. Even Paul, apostle to the Gentiles, found this to be true. He said, for I know that nothing good dwells in me that is in my flesh. For I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. For I do not do the good I, I, I want, but the evil I do not want to do, I do. I, is what I keep on doing. Now, if I do what I do not want to do, it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells in me. Later on, he, he laments, and, and Josh uh, quoted this passage too, wretched man that I am, who will save me from this body of death? And this question is where the story changes directions. Because while our own holiness separates us from God, causes us him to turn his face away from us, from, his, from us so that his perfect holiness cannot stand to be in, in the presence of our unholiness. Paul gives us the other side of the story in that same verse I just quoted, because, or, because right after that he says, thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. God has provided 
the forgiveness we need. This is the good news, for while we are still weak, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for the righteous person, though perhaps for a good person, someone might even dare to die. But God shows his love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since therefore we have been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved from him, uh, by him from the wrath of God. Right? John 3.36. For if we, while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more now that we are reconciled shall we be saved by his life. More than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. God offers the forgiveness that he alone has the privilege to offer it. He's the one who's been wronged. He can provide that purification, making us holy again in the only way that he, the perfect God, or that only he as the perfect God can do through the sacrifice of his son, Jesus Christ. God called for the sins to be atoned for in the Old Testament through unblemished sacrifices. Yet because we are sinners, we're blemished. We can't even sacrifice ourselves and, and satisfy that. Isaiah says that our righteous works are like filthy rags. Paul says our highest accomplishments are only worthy of the dung heap. He writes further in Ephesians that we are unable to be saved from the trap of sins ourselves or any works that we might be able to do. Who will save us from this body of death? Thanks be to God, through Jesus Christ, our Lord. In Jesus, God provides the ultimate unblemished sacrifice. God himself, who though tempted like us in every way, was without sin. It's only through Jesus that we can be made holy again. Righteous in the sight of God. Though not through anything we are doing or that we've done or that we might do, but because of who he is and who, what he has done. Paul writes in Philippians that because of Christ, we are able to be found in him, not having a righteousness of our own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith. This is the gift of God that he offers to those who come to the realization that they are unholy before his perfect holiness, and that their unholiness is hopeless apart from God's grace, his unmerited favor, which he provides through Jesus Christ. And so we are provided now with the choice to accept God's will or to follow our own. And if we go through this Bible, we see so many times that God offers that choice. He offers it to, to Adam and Eve initially. Follow my commands or pursue your own desires. In Deuteronomy, he says, I have set before you life and death, blessing and curse. Later on, he says in Joshua, choose this day whom you will serve. The choice was even offered to Jesus himself in the wilderness at the beginning of his ministry when he's tempted and he's, he's able to, to, to take care of his own desires to follow those or to endure the trials that God has set before him. It's the same challenge that he gave to the crowd at Caesarea, Caesarea Philippi. It, he says to deny themselves, to pick up their crosses and follow him. It's the same one that he gives to the rich young ruler to leave everything else and follow him. And we can, right? We've got a couple choices. Our first choice could be to be like that rich young ruler. We, we can look at what we'd have to give up 
and decide, no, we, we can't do that. We can go away sorrowful. Right? We can reject Jesus. We can do this by deceiving, by convincing ourselves and even others that we have fellowship with God while we still walk in darkness. We can do this by denying our own depravity, saying that we have no sin worthy of punishment. We can do this with self-righteousness, declaring that we are upright as if we had the, the authority to do so. And this is what it says, in going back to 1 John. If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in the darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. We are free to make those choices, but that choice will only end in death. And Jesus says that if we seek to save our lives, we will lose them. Our other choice is to turn away from our sinfulness and embrace Jesus' righteousness. And we do this by confessing, by repenting and following. Confessing, in 1 John, the, the word for confessing there in Greek is homologeo, just saying the same. Right? We're acknowledging that our actions, our nature, and our situation are exactly the same that God declares them to be. Sinful, depraved, and hopeless. We're declaring that trusting in our own righteousness and following our own passions are, as James writes, uh, earthly, unspiritual, demonic, accompanied by disorder in every vile practice. By saying the same about them that God says about them, we acknowledge that we walk in darkness, and that opens up the possibility to turn and walk into the light. We can confess with confidence because of what we read in John. If we confess our sins, in 1 John, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That's our confession. The next step would be our repentance. Repentance is turning away from that path of darkness and turning toward the light. Having confessed our sins, acknowledging them for what they are, we can now turn our back on them. We can, in fact, deny ourselves our sinful desires. We can hate them, not bear to be in their presence, turn towards our holy God and to follow Christ unless we worry that we're unable to pick up that cross to follow him, God promises us that he will give us the strength that we need to do so, no matter what those trials might be. I know how to be brought, down, brought low, Paul writes to the Philippians, and I know how to abound in any and every circumstance. I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through him, who strengthens me. Having confessed our sins, repented from them, denying ourselves to follow him, we find true fellowship with God. The God in, who is light and in whom there is no darkness at all. We can begin to walk in the light as he is in the light. And we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from all sin. Where are you today? Have you come to the end of yourself in your pursuit of righteousness by your own merits? Have you confessed your sins and your sinfulness and turned to follow Jesus? If so, know that we have been reconciled to God. We will continue to struggle with sin 
God calls us to pray for steadfastness in the midst of trials and temptations and promises to provide strength to endure them or the means of escape to avoid them. If we stumble and fall, he calls us to confess our sins. And then he says he's faithful and just to forgive them. He says that his power is made perfect in our weakness. He, he teaches us how to find victories in the midst of trials so that we can give glory to his name. So if that's you, what step of faith is God calling you to take as you count it all joy as you meet trials of various kinds? What are the temptations you are being called to resist or to flee from? Where is he providing you the strength to resist that temptation or the way of escape? What sin do you need to confess, to articulate, and define as it truly is, and to repent from it? How is he calling you to embrace the forgiveness he is providing? Think about what you could do this week to answer those questions. And if you haven't received God's offer of forgiveness, it is out there. Do you hear God's call? Do you? In the midst of your striving for justification, hear him saying through the Psalms, be still and know that I am God. Or as he called to a young self-righteous Pharisee, he said, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? It is hard for you to kick against the goads. Can you hear God calling you to take that step of faith and trust in his perfect holiness, to lay aside the heavy burden of self-righteousness, to, to, to yield to his, his gentle yoke. Right? Do you hear him saying, come to me, all you who, who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon me, or upon you, and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. If you have not embraced his call to forgiveness, to, to become holy not on your own, but on his uh, own, I come talk to us afterwards. We, we, we aren't perfect. If you look around right now, you're going to see a lot of broken people. Again, if, if, if they're not broken and, and, and falling, then they're going to stand out really easily. You should be able to find them too. But there's no one here that does, that stands out that way. Come talk to one of us. We would love to introduce you to our friend, Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Dear Lord, we, your forgiveness is a miracle. Um, it makes no sense to us. It, it, uh, um, we know that we, we don't deserve it. Uh, we know that we have not somehow become worthy of it. Um, but through your grace, you, you offer it. Uh, thank, you for, uh, thank you for saving us uh, from our sins by, by giving us even the grace uh, of faith to believe. Lord, may we truly walk in light as you are in light. And uh, as we are tempted to walk in darkness, uh, may we yield to your gentle yoke. We pray this all in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen.